letter written to the um, Jewish people at the time who were um, going through a lot of struggles themselves. And um, so the writer to the Hebrews um, uses, we'll start to see today, Old Testament verses and passages and theology to be able to teach about the excellency and superiority of Christ. And so it's good for us to learn that too and to be reminded of who Christ is. And so let us go to the Lord in prayer before we go to his word. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we're able to gather together and, and around your word as you tell us to do. We're two or more gathered in your name, you're in our midst. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together that we are to be able to, to um, come together. And it's so much stuff that people are saying that's going to be different. Lord, no handshakes, and yet we're supposed to give the right hand of fellowship to people. There's even a kiss of peace um, that we don't do because we're Southerners and afraid that people think we're effeminate or something. I don't know. But, you know, there's, there's things in Scripture that we're told to do as a body. So help us, Lord, to know what is theologically necessary and what is theologically not necessary, something that we've made too much of. But Lord, the main thing, being who you are, that we do not make enough of you. So help us through our study of Hebrews to make much of you, that you would show us how the Father makes much of you, Christ, and that we would be brought into that worship and therefore glorify our Father who is in heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray. Amen. So before we actually read this passage, just by way of some introduction, say that um, you might read this passage today and, and you say, okay, and the, the sermon title is um, superior, superior to Angels. Um, the passage is about Christ's superiority to angels. And you might say, well, all right, I know Jesus is superior to angels. Uh, pretty much everybody uh, understands that, who doesn't know that Jesus is superior to, to angels, even people who don't have faith in Christ know that the church teaches that Jesus is superior to angels. Uh, there's not many people who would think there's Jesus and then there's the angels who are more powerful than, than he is. I mean, I guess there could be, but it seems to be a fairly well-established fact that Jesus is superior to angels. So you might say, well, let's just get past this part and we'll um, go on and see what else God has for us that we don't know yet. Um, but first we have to remember that we really only know it because of a lot of what we read here in Hebrews. If we didn't have Hebrews, there'd be a lot of things that we would still know that Jesus is far superior to the angels. But there are things that because we have now understood it from the New Testament that we say, it's obvious. Well, it wasn't necessarily obvious when, when these things were written. So we have to make sure that we're reviewing these things. And for people who maybe haven't heard of Christianity much at all, they need to understand these things. And then the original reading Jewish audience, they would have grown up for, for centuries, for the, the, for the centuries, understanding about how great angels are. Um, really seeing the operation of angels in the Old Testament as being... Uh, Magnificent. They met with um, Abraham, with Moses, with, with Joshua. And the angel of the Lord is this um, character that looms large. And so angels being 
um, luminous beings, being um, spiritual beings, being in the presence of God. Uh, Isaiah in the throne room and the, the, the angels are surrounding the throne singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so you would think angels, in the Jewish mind, angels are they're, they're, they were huge. <laughs> they're, they're very highly exalted. Below Yahweh, below the Lord, but, you know, God and angels and man. And then here's Jesus. And so Hebrews is wanting to make the point about the man, Jesus Christ. What do we make of him? And so the book of Hebrews was written to set our minds right about who Jesus Christ is as the son of God and as the son of man. And what we'll see is in verses one through three that we covered um, before Easter, um, we saw that Christ is superior to the prophets. And so you have the Old Testament prophets and they were highly elevated too. So when you have you know, God, um, angels, man, well the prophets were higher than most men. Jesus is superior to those prophets. He has spoke most clearly by his son today and now the writer develops this idea of superiority to even the angels so he's continuing to elevate Jesus Christ and as we look more deeply in these verses we will uh, hopefully not just come out the other side and say well you know look at that Jesus is superior to the angels I, I, I concur with that statement but that will emerge from this with our faith deepened and with you know, what will emerge from this great preaching event, and I don't say this is a great preaching event because I'm the preacher, that would tend to make it much less great, but because God has ordained the preaching of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit as he has inspired the word of God to be preached, to be a redemptive activity, to be an incarnative event, something that's supposed to help us be more like Christ, something that's supposed to increase our faith so i'm supposed to put as much work and study and prayer into this you are supposed to put as much prayer into me to do this and you are to pray for yourselves and for the congregation and to listen strongly and to to make sure you join what you hear with faith examining it into the by the word of god so that it is a redemptive activity God forbid we ever call this a mere lecture. God forbid we call this a mere class where we're just we're disseminating information. That is not what is happening. Information is being disseminated, but the Holy Spirit is being distributed and driven into our hearts, even through me this morning. And that is something that if, if you're a pastor and you aren't humbled by that idea, then you don't understand yet. And I'm not humbled enough by it, but it is encouraging to know that even somebody like me can be used to speak the word of God so that we pray that we will emerge with a renewed idea of what the, the, of the, the image of the superiority of Christ in our minds, so how deep and how high and how wide is the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's not just about his superiority to the angels. Which in and of itself is magnificent. I mean, just to, just to dwell on and think about that. But of the grandeur and the glory and the preeminence of Christ and everything. And that he would, we would see that not only do the angels owe him worship, they, they owe him worship. He's not just superior to the angels. The angels owe him worship. But he's also superior to us and we owe him worship. 
And maybe people will come to understand that for the first time or to see it more deeply, the excellency of Christ, and, and that we'll have a renewed understanding of our need to worship Him and that He is worthy and why He is worthy. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 1 and we'll read verses 4 through 7 here. The word of the Lord. So speaking of Jesus, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all, the, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. And so the first point we see under this idea of God being superior to the angels is that his name is superior to angels. His name is superior. He's received the name that is superior um, to angels. And so what does that does that mean in his name? His name in the Bible, the name, especially the name of God, represents the essence of who God is and, and, and who, how he is to be known. So that when Moses is at the burning bush, he knows to ask, what's your name? What do I tell them? They say, well, what's his name? What do I tell them? And he says, I am that I am. Yeah. Um, Yahweh is his name. And so that's what he knows about who he is. And so now... The name of Jesus has been elevated. And we also see this word in verse 4. He has become as much superior. So when we read this, you could look at this and go, all right, wait a minute. So he used to be lower than the angels, but now he has become higher than the angels. Isn't he God? And that's something that we need to, to get right in our minds because um, when you talk to children, a lot of times, you know, they'll just say, Jesus is God. Okay, and that's, that's, that's right. Um, but he's also man. And so, but I think we're much more hesitant to say, Jesus was a man. You know, like, they have our children say that. Jesus was a man. Yeah, and Jesus was God. Yes, both are true. Both are equally true but there's something happening in the what we call the incarnation of christ where he becomes a man there is a thing that happens that um, comes into existence so that the incarnation is the work of god the father and god the son and god the holy spirit who are all one in essence um, three persons one essence all equal in power and glory so we say that the son is eternally begotten of the father this relationship exists but the subordination of the son to the father did not exist or equal in power and glory but that what happens in the counsel of God in the salvation of sinners is God the son voluntarily humbles himself under the authority of God the father and there's many reasons for this, not the least of which is we're going to see who God saves us from and how God saves us. And it's a rich, deep theology that the Bible teaches. And there's mystery there. There's nothing like it in creation. You can look in the egg. Well, it's three, you know, it was the albumen, the yolk, and the shell. Yes, and it's one egg. Yeah, but you can separate one from the other. And, okay, so that doesn't work. You have a tree, you know, where your roots, bark, leaves. 
Yeah, but they're all, you know, you don't have anything, but God is spirit. And so, but then you have God is man. And so what we have to see is there's a thing that's happening with God the Son where he's become, he has become begotten of the Father. And that's what we're going to see here is what happens when God the Son, who in his essence is God, becomes a man and is in his essence still God, but is also man, truly man. For if he's not truly man, then he can't die in our place. And if he wasn't truly God, he was, his sacrifice would not be excellent enough and his, 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 his person would not be great enough. So he has become. So we have to remember that does not mean he was not preexistent. We have to remember that John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But the Son of God became also Son of Man. And as a matter of fact, it was his favorite self-designation. The Son of Man has come. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. So he would talk, call himself the Son of Man. And if a careful reader of the Old Testament would be familiar with Daniel, who God spoke mightily through, and if you turn, hold your place here in Hebrews and go to Daniel chapter 7. Um, some of the Old Testament prophets. Um, find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, he's one of the major prophets. Daniel chapter 7. It is not a sin to use your table of contents. But hopefully, after a few years of reading the Bible, you'll figure out where stuff is. Some of these minor prophets, and they're just called minor because they're smaller number of letters of um, words in their writings can be a little tricky to find sometimes if you aren't in it a lot. So numbers, I'm sorry, neither Numbers nor Deuteronomy. Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Um, Daniel has this vision. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So you have to see the image, the clouds of heaven, and there's, you know, just literal clouds, it could be angels, the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. Interesting phrase he uses. And then the ancient of days, we know he has to be talking about, you know, God, God the Father here we see now. And so this one like a son of man is presented before him. And then to him, to him who? To this one like a son of man is given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is Jesus. This is what Hebrews is saying. This is Jesus. This is not John Black and some theologians going, oh, we must be talking about Jesus here. No, this is the Holy Spirit in the New Testament pointing us back to here. The first Old Testament passage that we see in Hebrews, which that means this is a big deal. And um, we need to recognize what's going on here is he's presented before the ancient of days and he's given dominion and glory in the kingdom and people and nations shall serve him and his dominion is everlasting. He will not pass away. His dominion will not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Indeed, he shall be the one to sit on the throne forever. Not his descendants, but he sits on the throne forever. So this is who God, Jesus Christ, is. 
Son of Man. And then so here's Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Christ. The anointed one. The king. Because that's who you would anoint when they talk about the Mashiach, the Messiah. It's the anointed one, the Christos, the Christ. That all Hebrew, the Hebrew language and the Greek language, it all means Christ. It all means Mashiach. It means anointed one. It means the king. So when we say Jesus Christ, it's King Jesus is the way we say this. And the king is as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more exalted than theirs. So we have to remember, Jesus Christ in his essential essence is God the Son. And he is Jesus in his incarnate existence, in his fleshly, physical existence. And there was never a time when Jesus was not. There was never a time when the Son of God was not. So when we look at, when we talk about the begottenness of the Son of God, the begotten Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that he springs into existence. That Jesus is preexistent. There was never a time when he was not, but there was a time when he was not man. And that is the difference. That there was a time when Jesus Christ was not man. And he received the name Jesus until he was born. He's given the name Jesus, but he existed prior to his birth as God. And these are deep things. And I even looking at this, I have to go to, I go to creeds and I go to trusted theologians and I go to, you know, I don't want to Google this thing. That's the one you go to for, you know, am I getting this right? You know, what, what, does, what does the church historically teach that the Bible says about these things? Because we have to tread carefully on them. But we know that Jesus is co-eternal and of the same substance, equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit in power and glory, so that he becomes in Christ what he always was before the foundation of the world. It's an interesting thing. So look at Philippians chapter 2. This is um, you know, pointed out here very plainly about the name that he inherits. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, New Testament. Um, so we get this revelation from Paul. Um, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, curios, to the glory of God the Father. Now, the name Lord is huge. This is the name that the Jews would have used and still use when they come to Tetragrammaton, when they get to the Yahweh, uh, the three YWHWs. We see that um, Yahweh, um, Lord, is what they say when they come to that. And Jesus Christ is called Lord. It's not proof, but it's big. And we see that Jesus Christ is given the name above all names. That name of Jesus, every tongue, every knee shall bow, tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father Almighty. And God says in the Old Testament, I will not give my glory to another. And you worship God alone. 
as we're going to see. And yet Jesus is exalted. He is no mere man. And neither is he merely an angel. He is ascended. He is exalted. He is a glorified Christ. And that's the one whom we worship. And he was to be worshipped even before his ascension and exaltation and glorification. For he was God even in his humiliation. So we don't settle for worshipping anyone or anything else. Because his name is superior to angels. And then secondly here in Hebrews we'll read verses 5 through 7. And we'll see that he is son and that angels are servants. So Hebrews chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. So, first of all, this is the one you go to with the Jehovah's Witnesses, among other places. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus was actually an incarnate angel, the archangel Michael, who God has elevated and has given the name above all names, and the name of the archangel Michael, who's now called Jesus. This is why it's important, not just that they all worship Jesus, we all worship the same God. That is a blasphemous statement that we must beware of making, because it is not true. Jehovah's Witnesses are a false cult that are false teachers that lead many people to their deaths in hell. Mormons get it wrong about Jesus. They talk about Jesus, but they are a false cult and they will lead many to hell. The um, Muslims are a false cult, a false religion. All three being deceived by demonic teaching, by revelation that's been given to them. But you compare it to the word of God as the Holy Spirit confesses to our hearts that it is the word of God. There is one true faith, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And he exists in three persons. And we must remember this. If you get Jesus wrong, then you can't get more wrong than you are. To which of the angels did he ever say? Did he say to the archangel Michael? No, he didn't say to any of them. So I've had this discussion with Jehovah's Witnesses and the answer after they go back to their hierarchy and they come back with the answer, the answer is always, well, to which of the angels did he say it? Well, to Michael. That's not what it says. Which did he ever say? I mean, it could be more clear in the Greek particularly. They don't necessarily want to go there. Um, you go to the... I don't want to go too long on Jehovah's Witnesses, except for the fact that we had to be careful um, when we see them and love them and be able to have conversation with them. But um, what's happening with the Jehovah's Witnesses right now is if you're a pastor, then they're told not to waste too much time on that person because I'm just lost and there's no sense in trying to save me. Um, and then once they figure out that you know what you're talking about, then they'll kind of be done with you too. So pray for these people. But be praying that Jesus would show up in you and through you and that you would know scriptures well enough to hear a lie when you hear it and to be able to defend truth in a way that people can know the world is on fire okay the coronavirus is nothing compared to sin um, the coronavirus is going to kill a bunch of people but sin's killing everybody 
every single person will die. Everybody that dies from coronavirus. It's like they talk about, well, okay, somebody, the Babylon B had a thing, you know, somebody was found with 28 bullets in them and they died of complications from the COVID-19. You know, it's like, okay. But um, <laughs> the guy with all the bullets in him, he died of complications from sin. We died because of sin. If you didn't have bullets in you, you'd live long enough, you'd live to be 120 and you die, you die because of sin. Because you were born in sin. It's a cursed world. We need a redeemer. We need a savior. And a false savior won't do it. It has to be the one true savior, Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. You, there are people who sincerely believe false religions. I mean, they would die and kill for false religions. They're still false. And it's because of a fallen nature. It's because of suppressing the truth of God in their sin. Because the Holy Spirit has not yet revealed himself to them. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And if we get upset that God hasn't revealed himself to more people, then we need to be revealing Christ to more people. Let the fingers point to ourselves where we need to go out. And if this country is not going to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ after this, shake the dust off our feet and let's go to where he's already been working before this happened, where people are responding and people are hearing and people are trusting. We can't sit here and whine and complain and try to win people over that are just dead in their sin, thinking that if we woo a dead person long enough, they're going to finally jump off the deathbed and say, thank you for loving me so much. It's how much you love me that saved me. No, it's only how much God has loved us that will save us. And for some reason, he has said, the only way of salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. And if you don't believe the Bible, then you don't have to believe that. But you'd also, a man can say all day long, they're not going to put me to death. They're not going to put me in the front of the firing squad when people are being brought out by the Nazis and they can say, they will never shoot me in the back of the head. Blam! You're just as dead. Doesn't matter whether you believed it or not. Reality is reality. And so we have to understand the reality of the judgment of Christ that who he is, sonship and incarnation. God the Son, eternally begotten of the Father, is begotten, not made, not created, at a particular moment in time, at the time of his conception by the Father in Mary's womb, a great, magnificent miracle, God becoming man. Now in verse 5, the first part of verse 5 in Hebrews, he says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. So this is the this New Old Testament quote here. So Psalm chapter 2 is where we're going to go. This is the first actual quote of the Old Testament here in Hebrews. Um, so look at Psalm 2. Just hold your place there. Psalm 2 is kind of easy to find. It's right after Psalm 1 in most Bibles. Psalm 2. Um, the first part of Psalm 2 is about humiliation. The humiliation of the Christ. And the second part of Psalm 2 is about his exaltation. So what better Old Testament passage to take people back into? And remember, this is to the Jewish people. This was to the Hebrews. And they wouldn't know where to go back. They didn't have a little Bible sitting on their phone. They didn't have that back then. So they would have to have they memorize much scripture. And when they would hear Psalm 2, they wouldn't just hear part of Psalm 2, a reference. They know that when Psalm 2 is referenced, it's the entire psalm has meaning. When Jesus on the cross says in Psalm 22, is it Psalm 22? My God, my God, why? Is that Psalm 22? Come on, scholars. Isn't it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's a whole psalm he's quoting. It's the first line of Psalm 22, and it's a psalm of faith. And so we get to Psalm 2, and we read this. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his 
anointed his Mashiach, his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds. Getting rid of God's bonds. Let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. And there's a little line, a little pause. He who sits in the heavens laughs. There's not a lot of verses about the laughing God. Okay, there's not a lot of verses about, you know, God tells a joke and everybody laughs. And, you know, I imagine if God told a joke, we'd be laughing for eternity. So we had to, you know, he'd have to pull his sense of humor back a little bit. But in this case, when he laughs, it's a mocking laugh. And who is he laughing at? The nations, the kings, the leaders who are saying, I'll have nothing of him. And that includes us in our lives, too. He who sits in the heavens, he just laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. This is the word Adonai here. Okay, the Lord, Adonai, the one who rules over everything. He holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them. Okay, he's laughing at them. This is ridiculous. You guys, you know, I'm going to hold them in derision. And then he's going to speak to them. And he stops laughing. And he speaks to them in his wrath. And terrifying them in his fury, he's saying... As for me, I have set my king. This is God. As for me, it's for God. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So they're all on their holy hills. And they're all saying their kings are greater than, than God. I won't have any part of the church telling us what to do. I won't have God telling us what to do. I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell, that's where Jerusalem, the temple is. I will tell of the decree. And then Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now Hebrews quotes this as saying, this is talking about Jesus. And so we know this is talking about Jesus because the Bible tells us this is talking about Jesus. Today I have begotten you. Now in the Psalms it's talking about David. In the Psalms this is talking about David. I've begotten you. I've become, there's a relationship that's changed here. And it's become something new. And that's what happens in a believer's heart. We are begotten of the Father when we become children of God. When we are born again, we are in a different sense begotten of God. <clears throat> but Jesus is begotten of God in a real and true way. And he becomes the firstborn of many brothers. But he says, verse 8, you ask me. So who is, who's, who's you? And ultimately he's just talking of Jesus Christ. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And that's where we are. That's what he's doing. Thy kingdom come. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Now we have this vision of God that is he's long-suffering because he tells us he is. We have this vision of Jesus where he is meek and mild and humble because he tells us he is. But when it is time for his wrath, and if we know anything in our hearts, we know that something needs to happen. Justice needs to occur. Something needs to be set right. And when things are set right, it will be the wrath of his power that bursts forth with justice. And this is who God is. And we can't forget it because what we do is we think, even as Christians, we love people who don't know the Lord and we think, so God would never judge them because I love them. Like I've had pets, I've had dogs that I've loved throughout my life. 
all the dogs I've loved before. It just came to my mind. So I've got all these dogs and cats and animals and gerbils and fish and stuff. And maybe they'll be in heaven because I had special love for them. But that's not the way it's going to work with people at all. It is only God's special love for us that's going to set us apart. And so we have to share that with everyone, even the people that we love, because his wrath, when it's kindled, it's quick. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. That's the end of Psalm 2. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. All right. Refuge from who or from what? In this, <laughs> what did we just get to talking about? In this Psalm what are we taking refuge from? The wrath of God. If the wrath of God is after you, who could stop it? Nobody. So God says in the Old Testament, my own right arm has to save them. God has to save us from himself and for himself. And since he exists in a trinity, he's able to do it to the glory of the Son, and the Son's able to do it to the glory of the Father, and they're able to glorify themselves, and the Holy Spirit is able to do this work and brings us all together in this so that we're saved from God's wrath. So when we talk about being saved, and there's been a recent uh, <clears throat> one of these man-on-the-street things where they went onto a Christian campus and they asked pastors, no, they went to a Christian conference, and they were asking pastors, you know, just in passing. It's like, okay, we're saved from what? What do we save from? And they all had different answers. You know, some said, you know, from our sin. Okay. Uh, we're saved from the power of death. Okay. We're saved from, and then it's like after a while, and some were way far further off than others, but after a while, only a couple of people would say we're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from the wrath of God due to us because of our sin. That's the gospel. And that's what we have to understand. But we don't want to understand that because that means people who aren't in Christ, they have the wrath of God resting on them. We so much more want to preach the gospel of Jesus loves you, this I know for the Bible tells you me so, to the world. Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the little children of the world. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But this is how God loved the world. He gave his son so that all the believers in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. We have to share the gospel with people. If you really care about people, we have to share the gospel because the only escape from the wrath of God is Jesus Christ. That's it. And so we have to recognize Because not only is God's wrath kindled against us, but it is right that it is. It is not that God is a hot-headed, ill-tempered, hard-to-please God and the problem is him. The problem is us. He is right and he is holy and he is just. And if he deals with us in that way, we deserve his wrath. And we might would add and more because we don't understand what we're saying. We deserve his wrath. And Christ takes it. So we're in quite a situation. A predicament. A pickle. And then furthermore, we're all told we're dead in our sin. So we're helpless. We can't even do anything about it. So God has to act. And he did. He's begotten the Savior. His own son. And in 5b in Hebrews here, he says, I will be to him a father. And he will be to me a son. So let's look that one up real quick. Uh, 2 Samuel, verse 7. So we go back toward the Old Testament. It's actually in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel, chapter 7. 
12 through 17. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 17. This is where the quote, I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son comes from. So 2 Samuel chapter 7, 12 through 17. The word of the Lord. Um, speaking to um, David. And he says, when your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring, and this is singular, your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Now we're talking about Solomon, but we're ultimately talking about the seed. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He shall build a house for my name. That's what Solomon did. Um, but that's what Jesus has done. As we are being built together into a living temple, living stones being built together into a temple for our God. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. Now, when we get to the next part, we're talking about Solomon. But we're also seeing something interesting about Christ because he says, when he commits iniquity, because Solomon committed iniquity. Solomon sinned. Jesus Christ did not sin, but he becomes sin. And he says, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. And what do we learn? That Christ is given the stripes and by his stripes we are healed. As I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. He says, I will not take, my steadfast love won't depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So the establishment of his throne forever. Again, we're gradually building this argument in the book of Hebrews of the kingship of Christ. And we're not going to finish all this today. We're going to get to a point and we're going to say next time we're going to look at creator and king. Right, just today, it's the sonship that's most important because when we see verse 6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So Isaiah 4.11, the Lord says, my glory I will not give to another. Worship is due only to God alone. And twice in Revelation, we read of John falling down to worship an angel because when you're in the presence of an angel, you just that's what happens. It's like they look like beings who deserve worship. And so he falls down in front of the angel and the angel says twice, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant. Worship God. So that's pretty impressive, the, the position that, that people have. And when you die, you don't become an angel. We become superior to angels too, in much of the way Jesus Christ is superior to angels. And right now, we're on the same level as believers of angels. We're servants. Ministering spirits, they're called. And not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Everything for him and through him and to him is glory alone. And then it says below this that his... The angels, he makes his angels winds. In other words, it, it, he just uses them to fly on. And his ministers, flames of fires, ministers. It's a Greek word, uh, litorgos. 
liturgos. This is where you get the word liturgy. It's the work of the people. Uh, people work is what it is. It's, it's people who are working. It's a different minister. Sometimes can be this word diakonos or servant. But this one, it's um, used for uh, outside of the Bible. It's used for like a public servant who goes and sub, serves publicly at his own expense. He's not paid by the government. He goes and just serves. A military servant can be called this. But it's also used of a servant of a king. So the king has these lighter guys where they, that's what um, they do. They just serve the king. And that's what the angels are. They're just servants. And then when you see a flame of fire, we're going to go one last place. Um, Psalm 104. Because this one, this one, I just wanted to get hit. What the writer of Hebrews is doing, and I'd, I'd like to take this like in one sermon and the next sermon and the next sermon, but you kind of need to get hit with it all at once because this is what... God's doing in the book of Hebrews is hitting us with it, but we don't know our Old Testament good enough to get hit with it properly. So we need to get hit with it properly. And so let's just look, Psalm 104. So this is where he's talking about, it makes his angels and ministers a flame of fire. And he starts off with, them, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed in splendor and majesty, covering yourself of light as a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Now we're seeing, we're talking creator God, and we're going to get into this next time in Hebrews. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes clouds his chariots. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers of flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it would never be moved. You covered it with the deep, with a garment, and the waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. This is of Jesus, because we're told this is of Jesus. You make the springs gush forth from the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord are watered abundantly. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons, the sun to know it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the field creep about. In verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Verse 27, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. And 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles. Who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him. For I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. And let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Alleluia. Praise the Lord. This is our Jesus. And we're going to stop here today. But I want us to just read again seven, Hebrews 1, 7 through 14 and just hear the rest of it as we've been hit with this. Reading in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you 
are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirit, spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So that's what we're going to look at next time too. Creator, King, and we got angels that are sent out to serve us. And what does that mean? And how does that work? So our thought today is, may we ever glorify His name. This is why we have bigger pulpits. May we know more of His glory and grandeur and greatness and power. And may we know the Son who is the heir of all things through whom the world was created, who is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, who upholds the universe by the word of His power. He who after making purification for sins has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more superior than theirs. It's the beginning of Hebrews. So do you see our problems that we have around us? I mean, do you see the problems? Do you see the world and the problems? I mean, everybody's looking at the problems. And now see Him. And see who created this world. See Him. He's got this. And He's got us. So let's pray. Father God, You are great. You are wonderful. You are beyond our imagining Jesus Christ you are eternally begotten of the Father you continue now as truly God and truly man we will see you as you are we'll be like you Jesus we'll be able to walk up to you and talk to you and touch you and, um, and you'll love it you'll accept us in your presence so help us to glory in the fact that we're yours and, and you have yours that are out there and as we pray for our loved ones, it's strong indication that they may be of the elect because you have your people praying particularly for them. And, and um, you, you've put people in our hearts and our lives that, that, um, that we pray for strongly. Help us to be godly examples so that they might see us and glorify our Father who is in heaven, that we might be patient that our wrath would not be quickly kindled because the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of Christ. But help us have a godly anger over right things and help us to be, um, that be mediated by our love. And we do pray that you would continue to make us more like Jesus Christ, that you would be with the world as we go through this thing. As pray for all the saints as we go together through this great move of God and that we would come out stronger and more zealous for the truth, that your kingdom would grow here on earth, that we would be um, more zealous about going into parts of the world that, that, are, um, that are growing faster than we are spiritually. Help us not to see physical prosperity as an indication of spiritual prosperity, Lord. Help us to be able to use our gifts so that when one day we stand before you and you say, what did you do with the talents? We didn't just say we buried it because we knew you were a hard taskmaster, but that we've multiplied it. Help us to multiply our gifts. And we do thank you for who Jesus is and for communicating it to us. As we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.